This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by IATA Training. More than 1 million students have boosted their aviation careers with them. Visit www.iata.org training to discover how they can help your aviation career. That's iata.org training. It was another strong and profitable third quarter from Delta, though it wasn't wildly profitable. The airline posted a 16% operating margin. While that's certainly handsome, it's down from 19% the year before. Seth, what gives? The short answer, costs. That is a short answer. Ah, those pesky costs. We're going to talk about Delta's costs, revenues, and what their earnings report portends for the rest of the U.S. airline market. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the always illuminating Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. That your illuminating hum. Besides Delta, we're going to talk about Lufthansa's interest in whatever remains of Air Berlin and Alitalia. We're going to check in on the schoolyard fight among Boeing, Bombardier, and now Airbus. And guess who will finally be flying to Hawaii? Well, the short answer is it's not me, but the long answer and more is all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. You know, I almost didn't want to lead with Delta because it's pretty much a steady-as-she-goes kind of story, which is kind of boring. But then I thought a lot of people in the airline industry would find a steady-as-she-goes situation pretty exciting. And there's the fact that Delta is the most profitable airline in the world on a net basis. Speaking of net profit, it was $1.1 billion for the quarter, 16% operating profit margin. But as you mentioned in the opening, Seth, costs kept Delta from running up the score. Yeah, uh, they they rose faster than revenues. And when that happens, well, your margins contract, which is exactly what happened for Delta. You mentioned 16% uh, operating margin, uh, an excellent result by most standards, but down from 19% a, a year earlier in, in the same quarter. So yeah, uh, 9% increase in costs uh, compared to 6% increase in revenues, uh, all that on, on 2% more available seat miles, by the way. So you can see there their unit revenues uh, in- indeed rose as, as as we expected they would uh you know that because the Revenue increase was was uh, was was greater than the increase in uh, in capacity, uh, as I said, six percent compared to two percent. Uh, driven a lot by higher labor costs, uh, you know they've given their employees big raises, as have almost all U- U.S. carriers. Also, though, uh, a spike in fuel costs uh, that no uh, no surprise either, and that's even after saving a bit from the. Uh, the oil refinery that Delta, uniquely among airlines, uh, runs, um, and and uh, th- despite also the fact that those bad hedges that they had, they locked in fuel costs at, at much higher rates. Uh, those are wearing off, uh, but still, Delta is seeing fuel prices rise thanks to the fact that just spot costs of of, uh, of oil and of fuel. Uh, are, are indeed rising. We wrote in Airline Weekly that international unit revenue growth wound up outpacing domestic unit revenue growth. Is that a big deal? Well, it's a big story. Uh, you know, that hadn't been the case uh, for, for the past couple of years. Uh, look, the, the U.S. legacy airlines, the global airlines, uh, for, for most of 
over the past decade and a half have found salvation abroad. Uh, you know, domestic was was uh, very competitive, obviously low cost carriers and all that. Uh, so you know, they made their money flying abroad. Over the past couple of years, that had changed. International markets got tougher. You know, you have the long haul LCCs. I mean, no matter how badly Norwegian might be doing in its own right, that's still a lot of capacity for these airlines to compete against, not just Norwegian, you know, lots of other, uh, obviously, the, the Arabian Gulf carriers that, that preoccupy Delta, American and United, and, and all the rest of it. So the domestic market had become better uh, in terms of unit revenue performance uh, than international. Uh, but yeah, it seems to perhaps now be an inflection point where domestic has gotten so relatively tough because of all the basic economy stuff, all the rest of it going on domestically, uh, that international uh, actually uh, performed better in terms of growth, at least than uh, uh, than domestic. Uh, now that's not all international. I mean, Asia's tough, for example. Uh, but but Delta seemed reasonably pleased about what was happening on the transatlantic, despite what I mentioned, despite Norwegian stuff like that, uh, Latin America. So so yeah, uh, add it all up, and and uh, we seem to perhaps be turning a corner here to where uh, international is not such a, a tough story, at least for Delta. Overall, costs were rough, but revenues were solid. Was it a bit of a surprise that revenues were as good as they were? Well, not not so much of a surprise based on. Um, uh, yeah, but by time Delta reported, obviously there have been a lot of guidance and, and so forth. But, but yeah, no, they they are um, uh, clearly growing. We mentioned before the unit revenue growth. Uh, you know, a year ago, you know, we were still asking the question: When were they going to to turn the corner and 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 have unit revenue growth be well be growth and be positive at all? And in fact. They have now done that, and and not just marginally. Uh, the, their unit revenues uh, grew significantly. Impressive, though, in the face of everything uh, that that they uh, dealt with in, in the third quarter. We mentioned sort of the fair wars and all that domestically, but you know the hurricanes, all the rest of it. Um, so uh, so yeah, no, their their revenue performance was uh, was quite good. In the context of all of it, it was very much uh, on the cost side, their overall margin uh, ended up contracting. And what about those hurricanes? What was the final bill there? Yeah, about 120 million is, is what Delta said. Uh, it's sort of a profitability impact. So, you're likely more than that in terms of revenue, but then when you net it all out because you fly a lot less, you burn less fuel and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, but so that accounted for about a point uh, of, of operating margin. In other words, that 16% might have been more like 17% if, if not for the uh, for the storms. Uh, you know, Hurricane Irma was the one that really impacted Atlanta. You might remember Atlanta had its first ever tropical storm warning. A lot of flights there canceled. Um, an imp- a significant impact. Obviously, that's $120 million, $120 million, and, and, a, and a point of margin is is uh, is uh, you know, meaningful, but but you know, but hardly catastrophic for for an airline, which, as you said, had a net profit of, of more than a billion dollars for the quarter. Simple geography suggests that Delta's hubs were less exposed to Maria, Harvey, and, and Irma than the hubs of United and American. Have the other airlines, United and American, have they given any numbers regarding the hurricane impact? Well, well you're right that you know Harvey pounded Houston, uh, Irma, although the the direct hit was in Southwest Florida, you know really pounded Miami, and neither of them did did you know did quite as but even Irma, which had a big impact in Atlanta, uh, you know wasn't as big of a deal. 
uh, for for uh, for Atlanta. Uh, United, uh, that I can recall, hasn't yet given an exact uh, number. What they have done is is uh, said in earlier guidance that Harvey seemed to have dented. Their unit revenue by, you know, they gave a figure it was like one and a half percent. You do the math, you say, well, it's maybe about one hundred fifty million dollars uh, in in uh, you know, based on ten billion in revenue, in terms of revenue at least. Although the the uh, the profitability impact, as I said, is usually somewhat less than the revenue impact. Uh, American said uh, it, it the total net. Uh, back to its profitability was about $75 million. I was surprised that was as low as it is. And I don't know if they're uh, somehow counting a little differently. It would be surprising if American uh, suffered that much less than Delta did, uh, c- you know, considering American's exposure. Um, but anyway, there you have it. You know, all of them somewhere in that, in that uh, $100 million you know, give or take range. Uh, As a percentage of each airline's business, this was a bigger deal for an airline like uh, like JetBlue. Uh, Now, it didn't lose quite as much money as those airlines, but for JetBlue, I'm trying to find the figure here, it was... uh, Oh, they said you know the revenues for the quarter down by uh, forty-four million because of the hurricane, and and profits again, sort of the profitability impacts generally less than the revenue impact. They said thirty to thirty-five million dollars, but JetBlue is a much smaller airline, so so uh, uh, you know so that's that's uh, that's meaningful, and and for them going forward because so much of their business is in the Caribbean. Uh, yeah, you think about what's what's still going on in Puerto Rico. So there's there's still going to be an impact, and actually a a significant impact here in the in the fourth quarter. I mean, they said their profits in the fourth quarter uh, could suffer by fifty to seventy million dollars. So actually, more impact now in the fourth quarter for them uh, than there was in the third quarter. Airlines like Spirit and Allegiant, similarly, because they're much smaller airlines, um, uh, significantly impacted uh, by the hurricanes because of their 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 large operations in in Florida in particular. You mentioned Delta's oil refinery, it's something we haven't talked about in a while. Is that working like they thought it would, or is it just working out? It's yeah, probably. Uh, probably somewhere in between the uh, <laughs> in between those two ill-defined uh, uh, extremes, I guess. You know, it, it, it's it's uh, what's hard to say. So, look, we we I said before that it, it saved them a few cents a gallon on on fuel. Uh, now that's narrowly defined. You know, in other words, that's the savings because Delta owns the refinery and you know and could save on its on its uh, refining costs and the cost of turning crude oil into into jet fuel what's harder to say is is the overall industry impact on fuel cost of having that refinery so to some degree it also just kind of helps the industry right because there's that's that's capacity that's online that uh would likely not have been online if it wasn't there so i think it's it's uh you know, it's it's a little tough to replay history and say what would fuel cost in the U.S. look like without that refinery. But you know, they all along sort of saw it as a as a hedge. You know, they they when they, when they first did it, it cost I don't know a few hundred million dollars. They said, look, that's the cost of you know of one wide body aircraft, and uh, they they always sort of saw it as something that they thought was was low risk and. Uh, at least the rewards wouldn't be even lower than the risk, you know, and, and they, they hoped for it to do very well. Uh, you know, for all, for all the, the quarters when um, it hasn't done well for them, I'm not sure at this point, even, you know, whether it's a, a, uh, 
I, you know, I'd have to go back and do the math to try to figure out if, it was, if, it, if it's been a, a net positive or not. But I think it's done what they wanted, which was uh, give it some uh, some control over fuel costs. You know, they they had said at the time they said, look, you can't just uh, uh, you can't have this giant cost item and just say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. They were trying to take control of that. Philosophically, very different from an airline like uh, American on the other extreme, which doesn't even hedge jet fuel. So think about that, Delta is trying to take so much control over fuel costs that it bought an oil refinery. American won't even hedge jet fuel, uh, you know, the, the, the two, two different philosophies. But uh, no, I, 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 of course, they, they have said publicly it's worked out for them. And, and, and I think, uh, and I, I think they, they mean it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're glad they have it, even if rather clearly it, that that's not the explanation for why they're considerably more profitable than, uh, American and United. And while Delta had a great quarter and it might feel like they've peaked, they nonetheless have a lot to look forward to. A350s are arriving and the Korean Air JV is yet to have an impact. Yeah, uh, and and both of those are are important. You know, when you're swapping out uh essentially 747s for A350s, uh yeah, we're talking 747-400s, older aircraft. So, you know, you're with with in that case, you're, I mean, you're skipping a generation of aircraft. You're, you're going from, uh, you know, from, from a, a rather inefficient aircraft to, uh, uh, to latest generation, uh, technology. So, uh, that, that's, that's great news for, uh, you know, for them. Uh, they, they've also, by the way, taken some of those A330, uh, Neos. I'm sure they got a great deal on those considering how, you know, those haven't been great sellers for, for Airbus. Uh, but yeah, just this week, they're, Flying an A three fifty around on a demonstration flight, it, it, it um you know that's that's all very helpful and and Korean Air, I mean that is uh you know they got what they really wanted in in Asia. I mean they wanted several things and and uh, over the years that haven't worked out. Um, you know they they wanted uh, Japan Airlines to be uh, a, a joint venture partner and in Sky Team and everything that didn't work out. They wanted part of Skymark. Uh, you know, they wanted Alaska Airlines to to feed their long haul flights at at uh, Seattle. Instead, they had to go build a Seattle hub of their own. Uh, but uh, th- this was definitely something that they had always seen as a potential solution. You could tell they were very, very frustrated not to have it. And uh, th- if you look around the world at how Delta's joint ventures have worked out, you, ha- you have to think that this one too has has great potential for them. Korean Air, by the way, you know, is is the East Asian carrier with that serves more cities in the U.S. than any other. I mean, they they are a giant airline in terms of flying to the U.S. by you know, in, in many regards, even more so than the two big Japanese carriers. So uh, a, a lot of potential there. Overall, what do Delta's earnings suggest for the rest of the U.S. carriers in the third quarter? Well, they're they're hopeful, and, and we don't have to only sort of rely on that. We also have guidance uh, from from those those carriers, and generally speaking, you know, I mentioned before the the, the domestic fare wars and sort of United's over aggressive rollout of of basic economy. Uh, yeah, the, the, I'm saying over aggressive. I mean, they themselves have sort of sort of con- conceded that. Um, but basically, you know, it, it looked like. Uh, for those airlines, especially United, like things were in free fall at, at one point in the quarter when they had offered, when United in particular had had issued an uh, earnings guidance update, and and then toward the end of the quarter, things seemed to have have solidified and and, and gotten better. So, uh, you know, those airlines aren't going to do as well as Delta, but 
uh, but they're going to do a lot better than at one point uh, they they had feared. You know, I mentioned the airline like JetBlue is is one uh, where the where the hurricanes will probably end up meaning more. You know, not not just say a, a point of 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 margin. So uh, we'll see how they do. But um, seems that uh, like like it will not have been all that bad of a quarter for the U.S. airline industry. And it's time to thank our sponsor, IATA Training. Did you know that 36 million new aviation-related jobs we needed in the next two decades? Offering over 350 aviation-related courses, IATA can help you take advantage of this huge opportunity and boost your career. And even better, if you register more than three months in advance, you can save 20% on course fees. Terms and conditions apply. Visit IATA org slash training for details and start shaping your career in aviation. That's iata.org slash training. With earnings season upon us, there's a lot to look forward to in Europe. First, it's the third quarter, which is the region's best quarter for airlines. But we just did a cover story last week that suggested why this might be the best third quarter in a long time. One helpful thing is the elimination of some airlines. There's Alitalia, Air Berlin, Monarch is going away, and Czech Airlines is about to merge. I know this de facto consolidation alone will not usher in a golden age, but will it at least move the needle? Well, yeah, and, and to be clear, with Alitalia, we have to wait and see here. I mean, they're they're you know they're still flying independently as of now, so we don't know how that story is going to end. But we know Air Berlin is about to stop flying. We know Monarch did stop flying. We know Czech Airlines, as you mentioned. No longer an independent airline, uh, you know, merged now with uh, with travel service uh, there, and uh, so yeah, you know, if there's enough of it, um, you know, it's it's at the margin a lot of times where where, where things uh, where things matter. Uh, you know, several years ago, I remember you know when Malev went away, they weren't a huge airline, the national airline of, of Hungary, but but that mattered, you know, and then uh, yeah, LCCs all of a sudden had a had a huge growth opportunity with Zair, Ryanair in Hungary. Uh, and, and so, you know, it was helpful for the competitive landscape and it was, uh, to mention good, good for consumers there who got all this, uh, this more, uh, productive low cost air service. Uh, so yeah, all of these put together, um, uh, especially Air Berlin and Alitalia, those are sizable airlines. So again, let's see what happens with Alitalia, but if it too, uh, you know, does indeed cease to exist as, as an independent airline, uh yeah that 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 would be helpful that would uh to answer your question at least move the needle uh even though to be clear Europe would remain uh, far more fragmented uh than than the US I mean you know the US basically there are oh, 10 or 11 airlines at this point that anybody's ever heard of whereas in Europe there there are still dozens even if not as many as there once were how is air berlin's demise reshaping germany's airline market that's a market that was already pretty dynamic yeah it's a big deal you know that that's that's a large airline um that that's gone i mean lufthansa is is consolidating its hold on the market assuming it gets antitrust approval to 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 do what it wants which is take over most of air berlin's assets so uh so yeah you know it's it's Lufthansa is as strong as ever in in Germany stronger than than it's been in many years uh but but a big opportunity also for Ryanair which was which already had huge ambitions there uh you know Wizz Air is another uh you know EasyJet had been growing in Berlin uh, not so not not as quickly elsewhere in in Germany uh but um but look, you know, it, it, now w- with Air Berlin going away, there's going to be somewhat of a of a vacuum there, and so uh, so we'll have to see 
uh, what happens. Let's watch uh, you know, Berlin. What happens with the with the airport situation? The plan had been that if this new airport there ever opens, to close Tegel, the the uh, largest airport now in Berlin. Uh, but there there you know airlines and other stakeholders that wanted to remain open. So we'll have to see if that happens. So yeah, a lot of a lot of questions there. Um, but but you're right. Uh, certainly a dynamic market, a market that's uh, that's going to look very different. Um, from from how it looked not too long ago. But I should mention when I say it's Lufthansa, of course I'm including Eurowings. It's low cost unit. A lot, a lot of the growth. A lot of you know, essentially what's going to happen here is a lot of what's Air Berlin now is going to become Eurowings. Uh, you know, some of them clearly being replaced by Eurowings. We'll have to see if uh, if they all get backfilled or or not. Regarding Alitalia. Uh, Lufthansa has offered to take the planes, the slots, and the crew for $590 million. We've seen airlines in the past, especially Delta, make great gains in these kind of fire sales. Does this feel like one of those moments to you? It could be. You know, look, it, it, what helps uh, Lufthansa is the fact that Ryanair has has backed out, uh, apparently, any of the, the, uh, the bidding. Um, so, so there's just less of a bidding war, right? So, so uh, they, they should be able to uh to get a better deal um you, you know and, and 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 it also just matters more to them than it does to others i mean they really see italy as uh, up for grabs in terms of piping traffic into you know their hubs they're already a strong airline there especially northern italy um and so they want to consolidate i think you used the word de facto uh you know in a different context a little while ago well you know they want to become the de facto at least sort of legacy global uh italian airline for lack of alitalia if there's not going to be an alitalia uh and so yeah you you could you could picture that um working out well for them that's a that's a you know it's almost 600 million dollars that's a lot of money uh but in the context of a giant company like like the lufthansa group uh you know as as long as they do this methodically it should be affordable and yeah you 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 can imagine that working out well for them staying with alitalia the italian government has postponed the deadline for the final decision from november to april isn't the airline racking up debt rather quickly and if so by the time April rolls around, will there be any asset here left to sell? Is this drawn-out process as problematic as it sounds? Look, it's it's more of a political question than anything else, right? For a long time, uh, it's it's been Italian taxpayers who have been who have been keeping Alitalia in the air, and and you know what what Alitalia what 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 Lufthansa rather would be buying or. Who, whoever would be buying, uh, isn't a, a, a viable airline. I mean, that's the point. Uh, it, it, it doesn't work as an airline. They're, you know, they're buying assets, um, especially access to, uh, to, to, uh, airport facilities and slots, for example. And, uh, so as long as it's just sort of Italian taxpayers that end up pouring more money in, you know, I, I don't know that that matters too much, uh, to Lufthansa or any other, uh, eventual buyer, as long as they get the assets that they want, w- which is to say, not not Alitalia, the 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 airline is a going concern, but Alitalia, uh, the the airport and, and perhaps aircraft assets. So Lufthansa won't be saddled with that debt that they're that the airline is acquiring now. They they the government gave them offer uh, six hundred million earlier this year, and then just raised it another three hundred million, if uh, memory serves, right? Yeah, it sounds right. Um, yeah. It, it, Exactly. I mean, we don't know what the terms will end up will end up looking like, but uh, right, 
you know, you know, it's it's they're going to make sure Latunza or whoever I'm sure is going to make sure that they're protected. You know that they're not. Yeah, they're not assuming it's not your typical kind of transaction where you know just picture a transaction between two private companies where somebody's assuming the debt and so forth. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's you know that's it's taxpayers that are that that are funding the ongoing uh, uh, operation of Alitalia. All right, makes sense. Let's switch gears and talk about the C series saga. So. Boeing disputed Delta's purchase of the C-Series based on a trade dispute, and the Commerce Department raised the specter of a 300% tariff on those jets. But Bombardier has come up with a workaround by selling a majority stake of the C-Series program to Airbus, who will assemble the planes in Alabama. Seth, does the Airbus maneuver amount to checkmate? I, I, I really wonder if Boeing knew what it was you know, getting into when it when it started down that road. Um it just always seemed, and look, there's nothing new about these aircraft, you know, these airframe manufacturers accusing each other of, of uh, unfair trade practices. They all do it all the time. Uh, you know, they all think all the others are subsidized. But yeah, in this case, you know, you had you had uh, America's largest exporter basically advocating protectionism. Now, again, that's not how they would characterize it. They would say, well, no, this is we just want a level playing field. We just we don't want to compete against this this you know from their perspective subsidized manufacturer, but. Um, you know, with the current political environment, uh, you know, so so here you have the the specter of a, a of a trade war, um, and right here comes Airbus. You know, we don't yet know how this will all shake out. This could end up making the C series uh, more viable than it than it would have been. I mean, you know, uh, you know, until until recently, it was still, you know, I mean, already it was probably still yet to to you know get the first order where it could really. You know, it could really profit. Um, you know, based on the the uh, the purchase price, uh, and now all of a sudden, um, you know, here's Airbus with all kinds of ability to bundle these jets with other orders for you know for A320 family Neos, uh, and and so forth, um, and and then make it more viable. And you know, I mean, it's in the narrow body space where Boeing is more challenged already. Uh, you know, Airbus has the 321neo, which is all the air, you know, which airlines love. You know, Boeing doesn't really have something to compete against that and so forth. So um so yeah, I I don't know if uh you know I suppose we'll never know really if Boeing sort of sees this as well, you know, at, at least it's not sort of this other independent competitor out there. You know, it would rather have compete against Airbus than you know than, than against Bombardier. But uh um, but yeah, no, this is, uh, this, this is a big deal. And, uh, to, to whatever extent, you know, d- different, uh, thoughts about how viable that market, you know, just, just what the, what the demand is for hundred to 150 seat jets, but, um, to whatever extent that is an important market, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Airbus now, um, is, is the only of those two manufacturers that can sort of offer, uh, uh aircraft all the way through that uh, that that range of gauge, um, Boeing doesn't have anything at the very low end. Uh, you know, certainly anything sort of in the CS one hundred space, um, and then it doesn't have anything up in the uh, the A three twenty one Neo space in terms of having the range uh, that that the uh, the Neo has. The uh, the Max ten seems to be more popular so far than the Max nine, um, but it doesn't have the the range of the A three twenty one Neo. So uh, yeah, no big big deal for sure for uh, for Airbus and Bombardier. All right, let's finish the show in Hawaii. I bet if you took a poll of Americans asking them if Southwest served Hawaii, most would say yes. 
The answer is no, of course, but that should be changing soon as Southwest is expressing interest. At least I read that in Airline Weekly. Seth, why have they waited so long to start Hawaii? Well, you know, historically, they, they didn't have the aircraft to do it. Uh, you know, the, the, the older 737s just you know, didn't have the range. Uh, they never had the certification to fly over water. You know, it, it, it just it just wasn't technically possible. Um, and then in more recent years, you know, they, they've they've sort of been constrained in terms of their ability to grow by well, it, it, you know, one, one thing is they, they suddenly had these big opportunities at in Dallas with the end of the Wright Amendment where they could do this big expansion out of Dallas Love Field. And at Reagan National Airport in Washington and New York LaGuardia Airport, where they got their hands on a bunch of slots uh, related to other transactions, you know, mergers and joint ventures where other airlines had to, had to, uh, or I should say mergers and, and slot swaps in that case, though, between uh, way back between Delta and US Airways, where other airlines had to, had to make concessions. So basically, any growth had to go to those places because of those unique opportunities. And there wasn't really uh, much capacity left to allocate anywhere else. So uh, you know, I think it's just now that they're finally in a position where, uh, especially having had to, you know, sort of very quickly retire the last of their 737 classics because they couldn't get their pilots to go along with um, with flying classics at the same time as Max's. So that's done. Now they're finally growing again. You know, now they're, they're finally, uh, uh, you know, adding aircraft faster and they're retiring them. And, and uh, so, so Hawaii, uh, you know, is, is, is just finally something they can consider between that fact and the fact that, that, you know, now they do have these, these max jets that can, uh, that can make it. It's just a matter of getting the, uh, the, the ETOPS, the extended twin operation, uh, operations over water. And, uh, and that's what they're going to work on now. And do you think work out given that Allegiant rather recently tried it and for them it ended in tears. Yeah, and Allegiant is is uh you know a far smaller but you know very successful airline. So uh so that just goes to show that it doesn't, you know, it, it, it that you don't necessarily succeed uh, flying Hawaii. Hawaii is a good market right now. Uh a lot of capacity but a lot of demand. Uh Southwest of course different from Allegiant in in some important ways. One of them is that it has a a very robust domestic network and can sell the, uh, the, the, the connections. Allegiant doesn't sell connections. So it had to fill those flights from, you know, at one point from Bellingham to, to Honolulu and stuff like that. Uh, you know, where Southwest, uh, you know, we don't yet know what they're going to do, but if they run a flight from, you know, Oakland, to Honolulu or whatever, they can fill it with people flying from anywhere to Oakland. Look, I think two separate questions are, is this going to be fantastic for Southwest? Um, and, you know, is this going to be good for Southwest? I don't know that it's ever going to be the best thing that they do uh, for themselves, because I don't think they're structured for, for this to be their their best kind of market, their best kind of flying. You know, they're an airline that, that has it that has its greatest cost advantages. I mean, in terms of their unit costs, their efficiencies, their greatest cost advantages are on very short haul flights. Uh, you know, nobody could touch Southwest on sort of those, you know, three, four, five hundred mile flights. Um, once you get into longer haul flights, which this you know most certainly will be, the they they lose that cost advantage. Um, they'll still have a cost advantage over you know United, let's say, flying uh, from from the West Coast to Hawaii, but it won't be as big of a cost advantage. So then the question becomes, well, what about revenue? And and look, they're going to be at a revenue disadvantage against some of those airlines. You know, on a very short haul flight, more often than not, Southwest is going to have a huge cost advantage and maybe only a, a modest unit revenue disadvantage. You know, if if they have one at all. Here, you know, that could flip sort of a small unit cost advantage and perhaps a big unit revenue disadvantage uh, 
especially because their product um, isn't really one that's that's structured for that. You know, people are happy to fly Southwest for a short flight. You know, open seating. Who cares? You know, quick flight. I don't care. Where I'm going. Longer flights. People want the seat assignments. They some people want to be able to to pay more and, and get a premium seat and all this sort of stuff that uh, that Southwest doesn't have be- because of all that. Um, I, I I don't think this is ever going to. Um, I don't think they're ever going to produce outsized profits in Hawaii relative to the next to the rest of their network. But that doesn't mean that uh, that that they can't be successful there. Okay, well we're in danger of an outsized show. <laughs> that is all we have time for today. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, and you've been listening to episode 83 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by IATA Training. Visit www.iata.org training to discover more than 350 courses to help boost your career in aviation. That's iata.org training. <laughs>